Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Building Local Power. I'm Hiba Murray, Communications Manager at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and our Community Broadband Director, Chris Mitchell, is here to tell you a little bit more about today's interview. Hey, Chris. Howdy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I, I think I'm doing really good today because I'm not actually working today. We're recording this ahead of time since it's uh, the day after Christmas and right in the middle of a, of a nice little break that we're taking. So I hope that people are having a happy holidays and and preparing for a wonderful new year and all that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, I'm definitely excited to, to talk about this, um, you know, this wonderful story about Hawaii. Uh, I was just going to make a reference to the famous Hawaiian Christmas song, but I think, or this, the Christmas song that's about Hawaii, but I'll, <laughs> I'll save that. <laughs> it would be great if you could actually sing us a little portion of that song. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the episode that if we could have analytics for, nobody would listen past the third minute if I started to sing. It would just be over. I am. I was actually trying to work this out statistically. I think I am in the less than one percentile of people who can sing. Oh, uh, no. I, am, I have the worst absolute worst singing so i won't do that okay so maybe we'll just stick to talking about the interview then (laughs) that's probably safe so you met the folks that you interviewed at the internet society's 2019 indigenous connectivity summit can you tell us what is the internet society yes so this is actually an organization that I didn't know enough about until recently, and they're they're in the news a lot for reasons that we'll we'll talk about. But when the internet was being commercialized, Vint Cerf and several other people that whose names I should know, but I, I, I'm not recalling right now, um, they were wanting to make sure there was an organization that would promote the values of the internet in many ways and make sure that it lived up to the hope of being. Uh, you know, a technology that was used for tech for communicating, for um, you know, promoting uh, people's um, good values, um, that people would be able to, to use it, and specifically that everyone would be able to use it in a safe manner. Uh, so they both promote connectivity and also uh, things like encryption and security practices and keeping people well informed. They've been funded by money that every time someone registers a .org name. So when we register ILSR, which is the first part of ILSR.org slash donate, for instance, $1 every year goes to the Internet Society. And that makes up their budget in which uh, that they then use for programs around the world to get people connected and help them to use the Internet in a safe manner. That's awesome. So, like you all mentioned, this is actually the third Indigenous Connectivity Summit put on by the Internet Society, and you talk a little bit about kind of what the Connectivity Summit is and, like, uh, past ones that have been going on, but my question for you is, why is it even significant that there is an Indigenous Connectivity Summit? Well, the North American Internet Society organization, which is actually um, run in part, one of the people who's who's helping out with it now, I forget her exact position, is Katie Watson, Katie Jordan now, who used to be working with us at Next Century Cities. And I have tremendous respect for the work that she's done. But uh, she and, and Mark Buell and, and others at the Internet Society, North America, recognize that tribal lands in North America are some of the least connected. And on a, a, a trajectory that suggests they're not about to be connected unless they take action. 
And so they started this event three years ago, I believe. Uh, maybe it was technically two years ago. Uh, well, the first one was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The second one was in the Arctic Circle uh, among, uh, I believe, the island, I believe the community was the Inuvit, but I might have mispronounced that a little bit. Um, and then this third one was in Hawaii, split between uh, the Big Island, where the the conference was. And Waimanalo on the um, on the island of Oahu, which is a fairly um, rural part of Oahu, which is where Honolulu is, not very far away, and is quite large. And I want I want to note that even I had some reservations about going because you you know you take money from people that are making our work possible, and I tell them I'm going to Hawaii to work. People have questions. <laughs> one of the things that <laughs> I mean it's it's legitimate, um, but one of the things I found was that even this is a this is a problem even in Congress among committees. Um, the the native Hawaiians um, have really been I think underinvested in and and. Under- Underappreciated because there's a real lack of 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 groups that will travel out there for events because of that perception that it's more of a vacation, and so in, in retrospect, I think it's important that we do uh, pay attention to these areas and do what we can to to help them um, to develop and and just have the the rights that they need um, rather than feeling like it would look bad if we're doing events that are out there because there's been a lot of events in which they have trouble getting people to go there. That's such an interesting point. Um, But I feel like, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. You could go to Hawaii for work and also, you know, enjoy the scenery there. Um, But I want to get back to what you said about rural because this is a really interesting situation where the community that built their own network that you talk about in the episode is technically not that far away from the main major city and so it's not technically classified as rural and that that makes it get left out of the picture for getting rural funding basically. I thought that was super interesting because it's like really a blind spot in public policy right and I'm wondering like is there any way around this or like where else is this happening? Hawaii was formed by volcanoes and so it's not flat um, which you know, I think of things in terms of Minnesota, which is also not flat technically. We have a lot of nice hills. People don't give us credit for our wonderful hills. Um, but but when you do um, look at the way the federal government considers rural, it's a certain distance away from more urban areas. And as the crow flies, parts of Oahu are very close to Honolulu, but topographically, they're quite far away, <laughs> effectively. Um, and so that is not picked up. And I think we see that in other places too. I mean, I think Kentucky may well suffer from this where uh, you have places that are quite close as the crow flies, but it could be quite far in terms of an actual road that will get you there. And so I think this is, again, why local self-reliance is important. Um, and and we should have more local decision-making because what appears to be rural or urban in D.C. may not actually be on the ground. Yeah, I I think that's right. It's such a cool story of how tribal communities are really saying, like, okay, we're not, these definitions aren't serving us, so we're going to make better connectivity happen for ourselves. So I think we've given a pretty good overview of the conversation, but I do have one last question for you, Chris. Um, Can you let us in on the controversy around ISOC. Yes, this has been something particularly worrying nonprofit organizations. And I think there's 
a lot of complications involved that, that make it so that it's not clear that, that one side is right or wrong. But there's been a number of petitions that listeners may be aware of regarding the management of .org. And there's been some changes in the recent year that removed the price cap, which is to say the, the price of renewing the .org domain. So for instance, ILSR.org, roughly $15 a year from our to keep it going. That price could theoretically go up quite a bit. Shortly after that happened, the Internet Society, which manages that, uh, decided to sell it to an organization that is um, private equity. And um, I think many of us here have a knee-jerk reaction against private equity. And I think a lot of people legitimately have that same reaction. But in this case, I, I, I feel like this, the Internet Society side of why they're doing that hasn't been told. And the Internet Society is an organization that, like I said, the North America chapter, I'm very impressed with what they're focusing on. And I think it's very important, the work that they're doing. And as we've seen more domain names like .biz and .info, the number of .org registrations we expect in the future will be declining. And so Internet Society viewed this as an opportunity for them to get out of managing domain names, which they don't want to do, and to have a stable revenue source through this endowment that they'll get from selling their uh, management of it. Um, that would allow them then to be have a predictable revenue stream in the future for doing these kinds of programs. I think that's entirely justifiable. I wouldn't want to peg my financial future on on just one source of income. Um, at the same time, I think some people have accused some ISOC chapters of being, um, you know, not as well run or as well focused. And so, there's all kinds of reasons to be. I think to have concerns, but I, I've come down on this in that I, I think some of the people that are that are um, very worried um, don't know enough about what Internet Society is doing or why this has made sense, even though there's some issues that, that should have been more transparent. Um, and so I don't want to I don't want to go any deeper into it, but I wanted to put that out there because I feel like there hasn't been a lot of defenses of ISOC or, or balance. Um, so I'm not telling people that they should support the way this is going or not, but I think it's important to note that that there are some good reasons for Internet Society to not want to be doing domain management and to focus instead on these sorts of programs. And I. And I, I hope that no matter what happens and how we move forward, that we see the Internet Society able to focus more on these kinds of, of events and, and programs to really make a significant difference. I mean, as we're about to hear, the Internet Society itself led to the creation of a community wireless network, which is bringing this high quality internet access to people who would not have had it otherwise. People who who did not have a lot of resources, who were stuck with these hotspots. And so I, I have tremendous respect for what Internet Society is doing in this. And, um, and I really hope they're able to continue doing it moving forward. Those are all great points. I think I've heard some murmurings around the controversy just like within the nonprofit community. And so that's super helpful to know. And like you said, the goal is that they really continue to focus on the programming, right? So that there can be not just three indigenous connectivity summits, but like four and five and 10 um, and more community networks. So yeah, give the episode a listen, folks. We hope that you're enjoying it. Maybe next to your nicely decorated tree with some hot cocoa in hand. Um, that's what I'll be doing. <laughs> so great. Yes. And, and maybe join us in Winnipeg next year. That's where the next one will be for the Indigenous Connectivity Summit in Winnipeg in 2020. Awesome. Now to the interview. It's Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And today I'm back with Matt Rantanen and a new guest, Brandon Maka'ava'ava, who's from Waimanalo. Welcome to the show. Aloha. Thank you, Matt. 
I mean, Chris. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's, that's totally perfect for the intro. Um, Matt, who are you? Matt Rantanen, Director of Technology for the Southern California Tribal Chairman's Association. I'm also partnering in business development for Arcadian Infracom, who's building fiber across the southwest of the United States through the Navajo Nation. We are, um, we're here for the Internet Society, and we're starting on the Big Island for two days of background on what uh, all kinds of North American indigenous connectivity, what's happening there in that sort of a space. And I'm going to give the mic back to Matt in a second to, to go a little bit deeper, but we're going to be going over to Waimanalo to actually build a community network. And this is going to be I mean, we're not just talking about like how to build it. We're going to go learn how to build it and literally turn screws and attach wireless devices to things. And you're going to have, you're going to have connectivity when we're done and, and you're going to be in charge of being to keep going after that. So Matt, why are we, why are we here? What is this uh, indigenous connectivity summit from the internet society? So this is the third annual indigenous connectivity summit. And it's really an opportunity for indigenous folks to get together to support the concepts of building networks and, and, bringing community networks uh, together to share opportunity for those who want to build new community networks, those who want to solve problems within their community networks, and those who want to understand policy um, and funding and and opportunity around this space. We feel that uh, with the lack of provision by the existing incumbents to the Native American communities, it is our duty to provide for ourselves and uh, dictate our future and become um, self-determined. So this is the third Indigenous Connectivity Summit. The first two, uh, first one was held in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and that kicked it off. Uh, we had tribes from Canada and the U.S. Uh, convened for the for the very first time, and we were able to have conversations and realize the value of this group getting together. Uh, it spawned a lot of projects. Um, a lot of networks were being built because of that actual meeting. And I, I can specifically address three of those projects, uh, having consulted as, as a free service to, to our own communities. Uh, the second one was held in Inuvik, 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle. A very extreme change in temperature, uh, geographic location, a completely different place. Amazingly enough, uh, the same exact problems the same exact issues with uh, connectivity and access to communications. And here we are in Hawaii, and, and we see the same thing. Yeah, the problem for, for our community, at least, is, um, you know, Hawaii is a pretty small place. Like, we don't fit the, the usual description of what rural is because everything's within less than 100 miles. We're less than 100 miles to the city of Honolulu. You know, we're less than actually 20 miles so we're not really recognized technically as a rural area. So sometimes we get left out of the picture as far as um, getting rural funds to us to, to have companies like the one we deal with, which is Hawaii Telecom, to actually come out to us. So they give us this whole spiel of it's not economically feasible. And so when that happens... Um, our community gets disenfranchised. It, it, it's, it's, it, it gets pushed back and it gets ostracized and it gets suppressed even more. And so we feel that this opportunity now with the Internet Society and them coming out and helping to kind of spearhead this initiative to build our own network so that we, like how Matt said, we can self-determine our future, falls right in line to what we do as the nation of Hawaii in Waimanalo. 
the nation of Hawaii is uh, is our organization that that actually governs over our lands where this network will be put up. Now, this is the first time that we have actually partnered with the state of Hawaii with Bert Lum, uh, with the DBED department. Uh, Bert Lum is actually the broadband expert, strategy expert on um, implementing broadband across Hawaii. So he went to um, one of the Internet Society Indigenous Connectivity Summits last year, and he got them to say that, you know, hey, why don't you come out to Hawaii next year because we have communities out here that actually need the help. And so when he came back, he tried to look for an indigenous community that could kind of fit the parameters that that would be able to run their own network. But Hawaii is a very unique place. Um, Native Hawaiians aren't federally recognized. And um, we, we come from a history of, in 1893, our people, we had a sovereign and independent nation, and that nation was overthrown with the help of America and businessmen. And so for over 125 years, we've been stuck kind of like in this limbo of not really getting federal funding, not really getting any kind of assistance. We've just been kind of like stuck out here to kind of figure it out on our own. It wasn't until 1993 when President Clinton signed the apology law that we that the federal government and the state ever acknowledged the wrongdoings that had happened. And at that time, um, the leader of the nation of Hawaii, he organized a bunch of houseless Hawaiians to actually occupy lands that the federal government had just apologized for stealing. And so we actually leveraged that occupation, which was at a beach called Makapu, into the first ever sovereign Hawaiian land base in existence. So for the last 25 years, we've been in a village called Pu'uhonua Waimanalo, where we have our own autonomy, where we have our own set of rules. We don't ask the state of Hawaii what to do. If we need houses, we build them. If we need roads, we build it. And so this is the first time that the state of Hawaii, through somebody like Bert Lam, had the vision to look at us as a... These guys might have the way for us to bring something like the Indigenous Connectivity Summit here without having to go through the usual red tape that the state has to go through and the federal governments have to go to. And, you know, we just met everybody in June and this is November and we're we're rolling already and it's happening. And so I, I think um, just our involvement alone allowed the state to, you know, to, to live up to what Brett wanted to do, which was bring the, the conference to us. And in turn, we have finally found like a mutual goal, which is to build our own community broadband network, because this will be the first ever in the state of Hawaii. Right. There are no community networks, to, to my knowledge, and not to yours either. None at all. So that's a, it's a good description of the, the collective situation. I, I want to just quickly get a better sense of you personally. Um, for people who aren't sitting in the room with us, which is everyone on the planet except for us, um, the two of you, I mean, Matt, you're like six foot 20, and Brandon, <laughs> you're like six foot 30. Um, did you get into this because as the tallest person, it would be easier for you to put radios up? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I 
my uncle is not 630, but he's, <laughs> he's pretty intimidating. So if he wants to do something, he tells me to do it. I just do it. <laughs> and who, then, who's your uncle? My uncle is the head of state of the nation of Hawaii. His name is uh, Dennis Bumpy Kanahele. You guys can Google him. He's, he's, a, he's a controversial figure in, in, in our Hawaiian community, but he stood for what is right. And, um, you know, he, he being like this um, independence force in Hawaii, He's always open to the opportunity for us to take advantage of situations such as this. And we felt that like it was a no brainer. If we had people like the state of Hawaii, like Bert Lum involved, we had people like Internet Society, which was so gracious in, in lending their expertise, bringing in other partnerships that actually helped us push through this initiative without us coming out of pocket. See, we, because of our stance, we, we've been kind of ostracized here. And, and so anytime we want to do something, we got to come out of pocket for everything. And, and so this is like a no-brainer for us. If, if they're going to provide the service and they want to do it, you know, we know how important the Internet is. Without the Internet, we'd have to rely on regular media. And regular media doesn't really paint us in the best picture. So Internet is very vital to our community. And not having that access is um you know is a weakness that we see that is now going to be fulfilled with this with this summit i think one of the things that uh, um, i've seen in the in the last 18 years of working in community wireless and working with 573 federally recognized tribes and now um you know native hawaiians i think that um brandon to me you are the champion of this um oh, your uncle you. your uncle is is uh, obviously the motivator and uh uncle bumpy is wonderful but you are the one that will probably take lead and and manage the determination of the future of this network and and how it evolves and and work with your people to you know to grow this and um and that's the required element in every situation in indian country across the united states across canada um, and across other continents in the world is you have to have somebody on the ground that embraces the technology, embraces the concept of the network and what it means to the community and is the champion of that. And so that's how I see you. And since you're bigger than me, yeah, you're my champion. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, Matt. And um, we're growing into this, but we see the potential of how high-speed internet access lifts up communities. And, and it's all about empowerment today. You know, we, this, we're, we can't be stuck in this victimhood thing where, you know, we're just gonna accept whatever is given to us. No, we have to. We have to find ways to to create independence and to create situations where our people prosper and and it's governed and and controlled by our people. And so that this creating this community network, it it just fits. It, it fits what we do and it fits where we're going, which is for total independence for our people to to have the best opportunities that everybody else has. And so this is an empowering event and so to, to build on that a little bit you don't you're not seeing this just as the technology it's no. just, it's not just about having better broadband internet access in Waimanalo right so why is the community ownership important and, and you, you mentioned how it fits into the 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 greater independence struggle but but tell me a little bit more about why that community ownership is has been important to you I think for us it's um having practical means to create independence so ownership is a big one. Creating economy is another big one. Creating political action, creating social movements, you need an economy to fund these things. You, we, we can't 
stand frontline and protest every single development that comes in because we won't ever survive like that. We need to have a voice. We need to have resources behind us so that when these colonizing or when these multinational corporations want to come in here with their big bucks and their money and, and their whatever they want to do, they can't just force their way in here because somebody is going to be in the place and we've already taken up that position. And, and so they got to work with us now. So that's why it's so important for us, you know, not just with the Internet, but with everything we're trying to create independently is that we need to start solving our own solutions, stop outsourcing to other companies and corporations because we're just trading one colonizer for another. And so the more that we eliminate these dependencies on whether it's the government that hasn't treated us right or these multinational corporations that talk a good game, but when they come in, they take over everything and then we're stuck. This this kind of helps. What we've seen as, you know, along those lines is that tribes are able to be proactive instead of reactive to issues. They can be involved in the uh, issue when it's just in conversation before it actually becomes a law or becomes written down as a rulemaking. Um, you can be involved in the conversation if you have access to the internet because you have the current flow of information. You're not getting secondhand or, or information exactly. delivered to you. You're actually part of the information flow. So let's talk now about the, the prep work. So you don't have very good connectivity now. What have you had to do to prepare for the building of the community network? We dug our own trenches. You know, it's uh, working with Hawaiian Tell now in this new capacity where the state is involved. It kind of, it kind of gave us uh, opportunity to kind of push Hawaiian Tell closer to working with us. And so in that sense, that was good. But then also when they come onto our land, like I was talking about, it's it's our land. We govern it. We do the work on it, and so it was only right that we're the ones that dug our own trenching and, and laid our own conduits. And so we, we did that. We, we dug about, you know, from from the street level up to our building where we'll have the main hub, we, we dug a, you know, 600-foot-long trench. You know, luckily we have good operators in the village. We have good um, machines. We have good foremen that, you know, they have experience laying all kinds of different plumbing pipeline for our houses, electrical, roadways. So so something like this, you know, it, it might seem amazing to a lot of people, but for us it's just it's just part of the gig. You know, we're used to it. We're we're used to getting dirty. We're used to getting down because that's the only way things are gonna get done. We can't wait for somebody else to come in and do it for us. And so we've we've dug trenching, um we've set up with with Hawaiian Tail we we pulled the fiber in. Uh, we set up hubs to where every you know all the new equipment that's going to go in to build the the mesh net around our village is ready to go. We 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 sunk a light uh, telephone pole down at the bottom of the village because we'll have two entry points. And so yeah, no, we we're just um, we're game for everything. And 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 a lot of this prep work that we've done is just stuff that we've done in the past, but now it relates to internet and broadband access. So. And, and call it trial by fire, but it is a uh, a great experience builder when you're forced to have to dig your own trench, to, to lay your own conduit, to have fiber brought in. You are um, much further along than most community networks um, before you even have the first connectivity lit. Most people have some sort of delivery of service that, that they start using before they actually start building infrastructure, really heavy-duty infrastructure. And this is great to see. Um, you get that experience, and now you know what it takes. Right. Mahalo. So what are we going to be doing the next two days in Waimanalo? 
Well, we'll probably be get, eating some good Hawaiian food. <laughs> uh, some lao lao, I hear. Some lao lao. We'll, we'll probably be, um, you know, checking out the scenery. But, but you know, we'll be in there. We'll be we'll be building the network. And, um, you know, we like to thank Buy Sales for, for bringing in the equipment and helping to donate all of that. And, and you know, and we're, we're just kind of looking to see and, and experience what, you know, finishing this whole thing off. We, we, we did the first part. Now we're bringing in the, you know, the technical side. We're bringing in some of the experts, you know, from around the world that that'll come in. To me, I, you know, I, I just want to see how this 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 takes place because we have so much experts here. It's gonna be like 150 guys changing one light bulb, and, and so it's just like I want I want to see how this is organized. Like who's the chief and who's the Indians and and who's gonna make it go? But you know, that's part of the excitement and and. You know, we we kind of like spread this in you know this story out amongst our network and amongst our community, so everybody's excited. So we're expecting like a couple hundred people to to be there and just kind of watch and and learn and and we're just um, you know so excited to get this network going. But hopefully by Friday will be totally lit up. But I think that's third, the second day. That's the second day. Yeah. So the first day, <laughs> day two. <laughs> right, right, right. So the first day, I guess, um, we'll be in a training with uh, buy sales in the morning, and then we'll be um, kind of watching, you know, the experts kind of light up that first line. And then the second day, they'll um, just kind of shadow us, and whatever we learned on the first day, we'll do for the second entry point, and. Um, We'll see if we did a good job on that, and and we'll we'll try and light it up then. So, what are the what are the connections going to in the in this uh, initial round of the network? Okay, the the first connection is actually going to our front gate, so that we can kind of get around this huge tree that is in the way of getting <laughs> this connection down to the bottom part of our village. Sorry, when you say a huge tree, I think you. I mean, as I said before, I'm, you're already ta- you're a big guy. Yeah, like, I'm talking <laughs> like like a hundred fifty foot tall, you know, hundred feet wide. You know, it's probably more than a hundred feet wide, two hundred foot wide banyan tree, and this equipment doesn't go through that type of you know. I don't think much leafage. of anything goes through. A banyan I don't tree. think so either. <laughs> and so we, you know, we had to do two uh, installations. So the first installation is gonna go kind of at the bottom of our village near our front gate. And then the second installation is actually going to go to our community hall, which is actually kind of like set up on a hill that overlooks all the homes. And so I guess from there, we're going to like shoot the mesh network out and and connect to all the homes from there. It's kind of a central hub and and a a place where everything can kind of originate and be, be spread out. Yeah, that's, that's, Almost exactly right, and uh, and the design of the network is is designed because of geography, which is typical to uh, tribal installations. Most tribes are in very geographically diverse areas that have obstacles, and you have to get creative to be able to deploy <laughs> the network to to all the people. And uh, and you have it right. I mean, we're we're going to um, Spencer Sevilla and Mariel Triggs and myself and a few others are going to do some demonstration of product and probably show how you know the installation of the of one or two pieces goes and then you know we'd love to hand it over and and have you do that because experience and hands-on is the key because then we know that you've done it you've uh experienced the process and and um 
there's success after that because you can rely on yourself and your knowledge of what what happened and and if we shadow and, and you know just offer a suggestion or support it's a great way to start this and hands-on is how most of uh, tribal people learn visual and hands-on we're all about seeing what happens and how it works so let me ask you and i and i want to follow up in like maybe a year or two to see how accurate this is how do you think this is going to change things? Like, what's the what's the result going to be of this network? Well, already it's it's kind of brought in like this new excitement to our village, and you know we're we're so independent and we're so used to doing things on our own and just like scratching and crawling, you know, just to get like roads in there and just to get you know houses built. That that this will kind of just take us to you know bring us up to modern times because. Honestly, our network is non-existent. We have no internet access in our village right now. So most of our things are run off of cellular data, off of hotspots, which can be really expensive. And that kind of cuts into the things that we could do otherwise. So first off, it's going to save us a lot of money by doing this. Secondly, it's going to it's going to enhance our reach because we rely a lot on social media. We rely a lot on the internet for research and development issues and, and to stay connected with the world because we believe that connectivity is actually the the, the real sovereignty that, that is emerging around the world because we're not trapped behind these political barriers, these landlocked barriers. We're not going to be fighting over land anymore. We feel that with this internet connection, it's the beginning of the rise of a digital nation. And we want to be the people on the forefront of that. So just this opportunity alone allows us to imagine and to hope and to, and to, to bring excitement to, to our village because you, you know, with the internet, with, with, um, you know, stuff like blockchain technology, stuff like cryptocurrency, you know, e-commerce, um, you know, just connecting with, with these people that, that have these experiences and expertise and technology and innovation that the state governments and the federal governments are not bringing to us. So now we don't need them. Now we can go around them. We can go through them. We can go to anywhere around the world and connect with people that, that, that want to help. And so it's, it's a way for us to improve our political, economic, and social standards and just read the standards of life inside our village and eventually to the rest of the Hawaiian population around the, the other islands. Great. Well, thank you so much, Brandon Maka'ava'ava from Waimanalo. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Mahalo, Chris. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you for Matt. And thank you to ISOC and um, everybody that's here. We really appreciate what's going on. And, and, you know, this year it's about us. But when we're lit up, we're, we're ready to help everybody else. So it's about empowering. And it's about empowering every single community after this. If we can be an example of hope, then let's let's be that example let's shine that light you know next year is scheduled for winnipeg i think uh, i don't know how often you've experienced a, a winter that far north but i think we should we should move it to a little later maybe january or february in winnipeg <laughs> hey, you guys you guys are the boss of cold we, you know I, we're we're just following you so if you lead us into a blizzard you know next time you come to hawaii we might take you to north shore you know during december and teach you how to swim out there <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Building Local Power. You can find links to what we discussed today by going to our website, ilsr.org, and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ilsr.org. And while you're there, you can sign up for one of our newsletters or click the donate button to support our work. If you like this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is edited by Lisa Gonzalez and produced by Lisa Hibba Murray and Zach Fried. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunction Al. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Stacey Mitchell. We'll see you again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power. Mm-hmm.